Welcome back to Mission 27. How many of you are enjoying this? How many of you are finding how rich it is to be in God's Word? It's our journey through the 27 books of the New Testament, Mission 27. We've studied two books so far. Made it through two books so far. We've gone through, spent two weeks in the Gospel of Matthew, and then we spent two weeks in the book of Hebrews. And what do these two books have in common? Go ahead. What, written to Jewish believers, right? Written to the Jews. Jewish audience is the primary audience. Today we're going to dive into the third book that was written primarily to a Jewish audience, to the Jewish half of the New Testament church. You all know what that book is? The book of James. You know that because you got a little bit of heads up, I know also from Pastor Phil in his daily dose, but I know a lot of you also know that. Oh, and it's up on the screen, the book of James. Yeah, spoiler alert. There it is right there, right? So we're going to dive into the book of James. It's the uh, third book that we encounter in the New Testament that was written to the Jewish half of the church, to the Jewish believers. And we know that because in James 1.1, it very clearly says to the 12 tribes, those are the Jewish tribes, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nation. So James was very concerned for his fellow Jewish believers who'd been scattered abroad, who were no longer living, you know, close, you know, to the Jerusalem church, which was really the headquarters, if you will, the the largest church where it launched there in Jerusalem. But they were scattered abroad, like way out into the crazy, big, bad world. And he was concerned for those Jewish believers who were out there trying to follow Jesus. Uh, This happened during what's called the diaspora How many of you have heard of the diaspora? It's a Greek word for scattering. It was the scattering of the saints, the scattering of the church. A lot of the scattering happened because of what we've already talked about in Matthew and then in in Hebrews about the persecution that was going on that started in 64 AD when Nero started, when he burned it down and blamed the Christians and Rome and started persecuting the Jews and that persecution was spreading. And so it was also happening in Jerusalem and there was this diaspora, the scattering of the saints. They were in a lot of ways running for their lives, uh, running for their lives of their children. But there was also another reason for scattering is that they saw opportunity to gain wealth and to do business in other places other than Jerusalem. And so we saw the church beginning to scatter to the outer reaches, if you will, away from Jerusalem. But with that came some issues. Because they were walking away, they were leaving this kind of cocoon, if you will, that they had grown up in of Judaism and understanding all the laws and the, the, the history and the way to honor God. And they were going out into places that were godless. I mean, flat out godless pagan places. And they were struggling with that. And so James decides, I need to write to these believers to encourage them, to help them understand and encourage them to live for God, even in these crazy godless places. And so James writes this letter to encourage these Jewish believers in the Lord. And he's given us this letter. God has given us this letter to encourage us as well. And so this is something, as as we look at audiences in the Bible, like who wrote a letter and then who it was written to, it doesn't mean that the letter is only for them because the Holy Spirit has 
Actually, he's the one who wrote this letter. And he has given it to us in the canon of Scripture for the New Testament church today and until Christ returns. And so every word that we're reading is a word in context, understanding who, why, how it was written, that we are to take these words from Scripture, every single one of them, and then apply them biblically to our lives, to, to live by them, to believe them to the point of living them. And so that's one of my prayers as we're going through Mission 27, through the 27 books of the New Testament, that we wouldn't simply be encountering truth and going, oh, this guy wrote this for these people, and boy, it's good that they got this letter because they were really messed up and they needed it. No, my prayer is that we, we take what God has said and we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us with his word. So... I've got four kids. I love them. Two of them are up here singing today. That was beautiful. Thank you all for, for using your gifts for the Lord. It was wonderful. So two of them are here. Uh, the other two, a uh, couple older guys. I love my kids. I want the best for my kids. And this is something, and I know I'm not the only guy who, who, who does this and the only parent who does this, but you know, as my kids grow up and, and then they, they like get their driver's license and they start going out, they're, whether they're going to a job or to, to school or they're just going out to hang out with friends, this is typically how it would go as they're about to walk out the door. You know, hey, Faith, I love you. You're such a sweetheart. You know, I'd give her a little hug, a little peck on the cheek and, and then, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to work. Well, have fun and be safe. You know, and then you know, ben, Ben's taking off to go do something. He's going back to college, you know, because he's, he's at GCU. And, and I give him a big old man hug and, oh, and I give him a peck on the cheek too because that's what men do. That's what dads and sons do, right? And, and then I'm like, oh, man, just go have fun and, and be safe, right? And all of a sudden, one day I just caught myself. I'm like, what in the world am I doing? What am I doing? Why, why, why is the last thing I'm telling my kids to do? Why, why, is the, why, why am I sending them out with this charge? Have fun and be safe. Now, parents, you know you do the same, right? You've done the same, right? I'm like, is that what Jesus did? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go out and have fun and be safe. That's not what Jesus did with his disciples, whom he loved so dearly. But I caught myself, this is what I'm doing with my kids. And, and I'm thinking that, well, I do, they're part of me, I want them to have fun, I want them to be safe, but, but what do I really want to send my kids out with? I want my kids to go out and to be purposeful. I want my kids to go out and do big things and hard things for Jesus. I want my kids to be, to be salt and light in a dark world. I want my kids to grow up, to be men and women of God who glorify him with their lives, whose others can look to and be led to Christ just by following them, by knowing them. And so, have fun and be safe. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. My brother, Tim, he knows he can handle that. that he, he can handle that, but thank you, Jesus. Lord, bless her, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. Speak peace even right now. God, we thank you. You are the Prince of Peace. You're so good, God. You're so good, so good. And so 
As we read the book of James, as we dive into the book of James right now, this is a message you won't hear. You're not going to hear, go have fun and be safe. You're going to hear a very different message as you read through the book of James once, twice, three times this coming week. So this leads us into the first theme, the first encouragement in this letter of James. Theme number one, growing up versus growing old. And by the way, side note, my brother-in-law is here. His name is James, so it's really weird to be talking about James while James is in the room here, but, but it's all going to work out. So um, anyway, theme number one, growing up versus growing old. James 1.4 says this right off the bat, gives us this theme, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, you may grow up and be complete, not lacking anything. So I was pulling this together this week and I ran across this statement that goes like this. It says, not everybody who grows old grows up. There's a vast difference between age and maturity. I got some amens. Why was it mostly women who were laughing at that one, who were like, amen, wow, that's truth, man. Look, the older we are, the more mature we should be. But why, when you look around the world, when you encounter the world, it doesn't seem to be going that way. That's not the way culture is today. That's not the case. There are a lot of old men walking around out there who have a lot of years under their belt who are still, you know, they're acting like little boys. Their vocabulary is like, you know, lost little teenage boys and they can't speak, you know, a sentence without using a cuss word or something like that. And, and they have the self-control of an infant. Yet they have decades under their belt of, of supposed of manhood, right? That's the world we live in. I believe it's also true spiritually with many Christians. See that last one, you're like, oh yeah, that world's messed up. They're bad. But here we go. It's, it's true of Christians. Too many Christians are stuck living in perpetual spiritual infancy. Too many Christians, they like have that amazing day. They come to Christ. They come alive in the Lord. They, they get some truth. They memorize a few Bible verses. And then it's like ground, Groundhog Day for the rest of their Christian lives. And they just keep living that same experience in those same passages. And that's what they just wake up and it's just the same thing. And, and they don't move on. They're just stuck in this kind of this Groundhog Day spiritual experience. And there's a lack of maturity and growing up and moving on that is happening. And as you look at this big theme from James, he says, man, that shouldn't be so. And in fact, the troubles and the craziness of life, if you're really following Jesus, should mature you, should cause you to lean into the Lord and should springboard you into a deeper, greater spiritual walk with Christ. I find this, though. I think it goes back to the have fun and be safe mentality that we've adopted even as Christians. That, that we try so hard to avoid any trials or issues. First of all, we want to avoid any trials or problems at any cost. It's a good day if I don't run into any trouble. That's not biblical, by the way, but that's what we seek. We, we do our finances. We, we handle our money. We... we spend our money, we organize our lives to try to not run into trouble, to try to not have any trials or problems. And first, that's, that's not how we should be handling our money, is not to avoid problems. 
We should be handling our money to glorify God. We should be handling our time to glorify God. We should be stepping out of the, the house every day not to avoid trouble and to stay on the straight and narrow for our own you know, comfort, but we should be walking out the door to, to do big things for Jesus. And, and Jesus even himself said, uh, there's going to be trouble. You're going to encounter trouble. It's going to happen, yet we try to avoid it. Have fun, be safe, woo right? And, and so what happens, though, I think with Christians, I see it, I watch it, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this too from time to time, where when I, we run into trials and trouble, instead of pressing into God and saying, God, what are you doing? Grow me up, mature me. I'm ready to go from glory to glory right now because I'm going to get something out of this trouble. Instead of doing that, we look at the trouble and go, how can I get out of it? And we start looking to the world for ways out. And we have another spiritual groundhog day. Here we go again. Here we go again. The letter of James was written to help the church, that's us, understand and attain some spiritual maturity. To grow up, not simply grow old. So this is a good time to talk about James. Who, who is this guy, James who wrote this letter, because understanding that's going to help us understand the message. So nearly all scholars attribute this letter, this book of James, to James, the brother of Jesus. Some would say the half-brother of Jesus. But here's what we know about James. So I'm just going to jump right in. We're not going to go through the whole history of who believes this or that, because it's almost clear across the board. It's the brother of Jesus, James. But here's something we know about James. James didn't always believe Jesus his brother was the Messiah. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, not at first. And, and we know that as we look in John, the Gospel of John chapter 7 verse 5 says, For even his own brothers did not believe in him. You think, well, yeah, when they were just kids running around and poking each other in the eye and doing that kind of stuff. Of course they didn't believe it. No, no, no. Check this out. His brothers were teasing him, even after he started his earthly ministry, his brothers still did not believe at that time. They were teasing him. Look at this. This is also in John 7. It says, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase this, so just bear with me. Uh, this is not the, uh, I'm not going to sell the Eric version, you know, of, of the Bible or whatever here. But, it, but essentially it was going like this. And this is from John 7, verses 3 and 4. So if you want to open up, make sure I'm close enough on this. His brothers were saying things like, hey, bro. Hey, bro. Hey, big Jesus. You're all that, Right? Hey, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, if you are who you say you are, bro, go and proclaim yourself Messiah. They were teasing Jesus even as adults as Jesus is launching into his earthly ministry. So I think it's important to understand this is who James is. And this is where he was with Jesus even when Jesus was in his early 30s. This is where he was. But after the resurrection of Jesus and after an appearance by Jesus to James, to him, James saw the light and he became an all-in disciple of his earthly brother, of his Savior, of his Lord, of his King Jesus. And this is how he referred to his brother after that. It's found in James 1.1. He calls himself, I'm a servant or a bond slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't bro anymore. He wasn't, oh, go show us who you are, brother. He was his Lord Jesus Christ. 
big change. Then in addition to becoming the leading elder in the church of Jerusalem, which was like the headquarters of the New Testament church at the time, James becomes the leader, the main dude in that church, right? The head elder, the senior pastor, if you will, in that church in Jerusalem. He also becomes a man of some serious prayer. Serious prayer. It was said that James would pray so much that his knees were as hard and calloused as camel's knees. They said that he spent more time on his knees praying than he did standing up and walking around. And who was he praying to? His Lord, Jesus Christ, his brother. Again, that's a big change. It's a significant turnaround. He had that come to Jesus moment, that understanding, and everything in him changed. And here's the deal. My question is, has this happened to you? Have you recognized, I mean truly recognized that Jesus Christ is your Lord? Have you submitted yourself as a servant, as a bond slave to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is he just a bucket over there that you go to when you run into trouble or need some goosebumps? Has Jesus changed you in this way? All in. Have you become a man or a woman of prayer? Realizing your total dependence on him and you have to seek him. And you've learned because you have sought him that when you seek him, you find him. James, this doubtful, mocking brother of Jesus, came to understand who Jesus really is, and everything changed in his life. Everything changed. As we read the book of James, think about that turnaround in the life of James, and look for it in your life. Okay? Look for it in your life. Do you have evidence? We sang about evidence today. Is there evidence in your life of this kind of turnaround? The kind of turnaround that James had. So speaking of growing up, this is another phrase that I found this week. I just like it, so I'm going to share it. I'm not going to preach about it a whole lot, but, but uh, it, it said this. I read this. Too many churches are playpens for babies instead of workshops for adults. And I think James really addresses that issue. As James tells the church to grow up and be adults. Spiritually grow up, put on the big boy pants, and be spiritual adults as well. And I think it's a timely word for the church today. I think it's an extremely timely word for the church today. Let's go to theme number two. Theme number two is behavior that matches belief. As you read through the book of James, you're going to see this call for our behavior, if we are children of God, brothers and sisters in the Lord, that our behavior will match what we say we believe. Behavior that matches belief. The key word to look for in the book of James is a two-letter word, and it's do. Do. 
Actually, you're going to find do not just in the book of James, but all over the Bible and all over the New Testament. The word do. Now, I want to stop and just be very, very clear. This is, I guess, just a Holy Spirit pastoral moment right here because it's not in my notes. Now, if you all have been around Evident Life Church, there's my texting coming out of me. But if you all have been around Evident Life Church for a while, you understand how much we focus on the gospel of Jesus. It's not by works that we are saved. I mean, it's not, you can't do anything. As an individual, you can't do a single thing to save yourself. And there's nothing you do that is going to add to your salvation that's going to make you saved. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to impress God so much. And I'm talking about anything you do apart from Christ. There's nothing you can do that's going to impress God so much that he's going to be like, yeah, I got to save that guy because he's just better than the rest. We are saved by faith through grace. And that not a work of ourselves, but only of Jesus. And I want to take this opportunity to also say faith, belief, faith, basically the same thing. And believing and faith is not a work. It's the believing, it's the trusting in the work of another. It's the trusting in the work of Jesus. That's what faith is. To trust in what Christ has done that you could never do. That's faith. But when we're renewed in Christ and we're new creations, everything changes. Just like we see in the life of James. When he's born again in Christ Jesus, everything changed. His life flip-flopped. Total change. And so as we look and we go through the book of James, it's not in contrast or in opposition to by grace through faith. It's assuming that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've gone through that. That you are saved by grace through faith. And that changes everything. My pastor Gary Kinneman has that saying, is Jesus plus nothing. Everybody remembers that part. Jesus plus nothing. But you know what the second half of that statement is? And that changes everything. As we read through the book of James, we're going to see the part of, and that changes everything. If it's Jesus plus nothing in your life, then that changes everything. And here's the kind of change that James talks about and that he's challenging the church with. Remember that parable in Matthew where the father told his two sons to work in the vineyard? And the one son said, no, don't have time for that, dad. But at the end of the day, he's like, ah, that was kind of a stupid answer. I better go do it. So he went in the vineyard and he did the work, right? While the other son quickly said, oh, yeah, dad, sure, I'll do that. Then he goes off and does his own thing, never shows up and does no work in the vineyard, right? Notice, Jesus asks, which of these did the father's will? Jesus didn't say which of these professed or which of these thought about doing the Father's will. Jesus said which of these did the Father's will. So James makes it clear. We're still in James 1, And he says, do not merely listen to the word. Or I'll say, do not merely read the word. 
And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And this is what it means to grow up in your faith. To not just listen, not just process it mentally, but to let it be so real in your life that you actually do it, that it transforms you, that you are humble enough before the Lord that you allow God to transform you into that new creation. And so for those who like to talk about their faith more than to live out their faith, James becomes a problem book for them. It's not one that they run to a lot. And I'll, I'll be honest, there are a lot of Christians who like to talk about their faith or think about their faith more than they like to live it out and practice it and to be it. The world needs Christians who are going to practice their faith and show up and be the hands and feet and actually do the things that we believe we're supposed to do and be the people that we believe we really are. So I want to take, take a moment here just to take a closer look at the original recipients of this letter of James as we move along here. So they were Jewish believers who were living in Gentile regions in the secular world. They were tempted to fit in. They were tempted to adopt the ways of the world to fit in their surroundings, fit in their community in that way. And they were tempted to chase after the stuff of the world like wealth. And that's the condition of the recipients of this letter that James is writing. And this is where most of us are living right now. We're living in a broken, dark world that is telling us, come, be part of us, chase after the things that we chase after. Join our club. We live in a world that's pulling at us. We live in a world that's drawing us in, that's telling us to fit in. That's the world we live in right now. A world that says, hey, be popular. But you cannot be popular with the world and be popular with God at the same time. And you're thinking, why not? Well, that, that doesn't make, that's not true. That doesn't make sense. Look at Jesus. Jesus was not popular with the world, but he was popular with God. And Jesus said, hey, you see it. I wasn't popular with the world. And if you follow me, you're not going to be popular with the world. Read scripture. That's what he said. I'm paraphrasing it, but that's what he has told us. Yet so many Christians so badly want to fit in and be popular with the world and will do things like, well, if I'm popular with the world, then I can use that platform to bring Jesus. But here's the problem. In the process, we abandon the very thing that we say we're going to bring to the world as we chase popularity with the world. As we chase the wealth of the world. All the things the world says, hey, this is what makes you an important, influential person. I'm going to tell you what. What makes you an important and influential person is Christ in you. Amen. The thing that you have that nobody in this world has except your brothers and sisters in Christ is Jesus. Is the gospel message. That's what this world needs. They don't need another one of them. They don't need more money. They don't need more YouTube influencers that, that are doing this or that. They need the gospel of Jesus. They need salvation in Christ Jesus because they're, they're getting swallowed up in darkness and they're going to hell. I was talking with somebody about that phrase, 
Oh, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. John, we were talking about that at lunch yesterday. He's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. And I've said this before, I've never met somebody who is so heavenly minded, so, so thinking about Jesus that he's no good to anybody around him. But I've met a lot of people who are so earthly minded that they're no earthly good. Most people are that way. This world needs what you have. It's not your money. It's not your wit. It's not how smart you are. Although you can offer all those things, and it's fine, because that's who God's created you to be. But what this world really needs from you is Christ in you. That's what this world needs from us, the church. So again, throughout James, you're going to be challenged. Does my behavior match my belief? Am I doing the things of God or am I doing the things of this world? Am I chasing after the things of God or am I chasing after the things of this world? One's going to burn up and one's going to be lasting for all eternity. Jesus modeled doing for us. A lot of people struggle with this whole aspect of do, do, do. Well, I follow Jesus. I don't follow, you know, James and do, do, do. Well, Jesus modeled do for us. He didn't simply talk about going to the cross. He actually went to the cross. He did it. He did it. He also didn't just study about the cross. And tell other people about the cross. He went to the cross. He went to the cross. Likewise, simply saying that you follow Jesus isn't the same as actually taking up your cross daily and following him and being his hands and feet. It's not the same. Maybe it's a good start, but it's not the same. See, this is why I said I think this book is, is a good word for the church today. It's a good word for the church today. And again, don't hear what James isn't saying and don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, that, that the, the, the doing somehow merits your salvation. That's already been dealt with. That's been merited only and solely in the work of Christ Jesus. This is the outflow. This is the result of being one who has been saved and transformed and is a new creation now in Christ Jesus who thinks differently and just processes differently and is motivated differently and lives differently because we've been transformed by what Christ has done. But someone will say, James says in 2.18, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says this, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So a lot of people have problems with James because he focuses on doing. Even the great Martin Luther had a problem with James and, and when he put together his, his, his Bible, he actually put the book of James as an appendix. That's how much he struggled with, with the book of James. So, I mean, smart, God-loving, God-fearing, amazing people who've been used by the Lord. They, we all can struggle with this from time to time. So if you're struggling with it, you're not alone. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater now either. Some have a real problem with James. They claim that there's more about deeds and doctrine and not much about Jesus. And they cringe when James says this in James 2.24. Some of you might cringe right now. He says a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So people have a problem with that. 
But let's look at this. Let's just take a moment because you're going to encounter this as you read through it this week. See, James, let's go back. Paul, you know, grace, 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 grace which I believe James is all about grace too. It's just another part of grace. But, but we, read, we read Paul's writings. Paul was addressing Gentiles and encouraging them to stay away from Jewish legalism. And so he was addressing that side of grace heavily, 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 heavily because of the audience he was writing to. James was defending Jews from Gentile license licentiousness. And this is the beauty, is that God gave us the whole word. And this is what we talked about earlier when we launched into Mission 27. As Christians, we so easily just dive to, you know, a little passage here, this verse, that verse, and we, we, we try to create an understanding of God and a doctrine of Christian living based on a few verses here and there. And what happens is, is then we create our own little versions of theology, in our own little versions of God based on that. But God gave us the whole word. The whole word, the word, nothing but the word, so help me get, whatever. You know how that goes. This, this, God gave us the whole word. And let me say this, James needs the rest of the New Testament. The book of James needs the rest of the New Testament. And God gave us the rest of the New Testament. He didn't give us James all alone. And the rest of the New Testament needs James. This is the word of God, complete, whole, together. That's why we're saying, read through the whole New Testament, at least the New Testament. I recommend going through the Old Testament as well. But obviously, it's, it's all one story, his story. It's, it's God revealing himself to mankind. Don't just look at this phrase and that phrase and think, you're going to figure out who God is. Read the whole thing. So James needs the rest of the New Testament. The rest of the New Testament needs James. Legalism, uh, which is what Paul was addressing, says that we're saved by works. So Paul was blowing that up, making sure that people didn't go down that. And then license says that we're saved without works. It doesn't matter what you do. It goes into Gnosticism. It doesn't matter what you do in the flesh. You can live, you know, sin, 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 and just say that you're a Christian, and, and that means you're a Christian because you say it even though you don't, don't live it. That's license. But liberty, which is what, when you read the Word of God, you run into. The Word of God's not legalism. The Word of God and salvation is not license. The Word of God presents salvation as liberty, and liberty says that we are saved for works. We are saved for works. What Christ has done alone and how that translates into a life that is humbled, submitted, and alive in him. Liberty. Liberty. So James isn't talking about works of the law like Paul was addressing. James is simply saying that faith without actions is useless. And James equates our actions to a demonstration of our love, to the fact that we actually have received and are operating in the love of Christ. And talks about how faith without love of action isn't the real evidence of faith. In other words, when you read through the book of James, you're going to see that faith isn't simply mentally accepting the truth of the gospel. 
Rather, faith is acting on the truth of the gospel. Some people are like, oh, what's the pastor saying? Read, read James. Read James. In the end, it's the same message of Paul who told the believers in Philippi in Philippians 2.12. And he said to them, he said, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So I want to encourage you as you read through James this week, ask yourself these questions. Is this what my life looks like? Am I living in this way? Does my daily behavior match what I say I believe? I mean, I think that's key. You want to grow up in the Lord, do this little thing this week. On one side of the column, say, this is what I believe. And next to each one of those, write, what am I currently doing in my life that demonstrates that I believe, that I really believe this? Now, whether you're doing this or not doing this isn't the cause of your salvation and doesn't keep you saved. We even talked about that last week when we were talking about Hebrews. I did a daily dose this past week about that. Does faith gain our salvation? Does faith keep us saved? Watch that daily dose. But doing is not a bad thing. Doing is not the antithesis of faith. Rather, doing, according to James, which is the Bible, okay? Doing is the evidence of faith. And James is clear, if your life lacks doing, then your faith is lacking. I, I had these two thoughts. I'm going to go ahead and share them and just have patience with me or grace with me as I, as I share these. But these two thoughts, these two phrases came to my mind this week. If I'm not doing the works of Christ, then have I really embraced the work of Christ? Have I really embraced it? And I was remembering how Jesus said, he told his disciples, he said, you will do the things that you see me doing. Anyway, just some, some Bible thought anyway. All right, we're going to get through uh, theme number three here nice and quick. And that is this, is that wisdom is practical. As you read the book of James, it's a book of wisdom. It's a book of practical wisdom. It's like you're sitting down with some old wise person who's just pouring out gems of wisdom. It's like you're sitting at the feet of somebody who's like been there, done that, and is just saying, hey, this is what I've experienced. This is what, how, this is what life looks like. Have you all sat with somebody like that? If you haven't, find somebody like that in your life who's just full of those gems of wisdom. But this is one thing we learn about. They often just come just like a shotgun. It's like, here's a, here's a piece of wisdom. And then five minutes later, it's like, oh, they're over here talking about this, dropping this other gem of wisdom on us. And it's just one gem after another that they don't seem connected, but you're grabbing hold of every single one of them and you're helping it form your life. The book of James does the same thing. And it reminds you a lot of another book in the Bible. What, what book would that be? Proverbs. It's so much like the book of Proverbs. Again, a book of practical wisdom. Gems, nuggets of, of, of godly wisdom for life and godliness. See, the Bible is a human book. 
It's from God. It's divine, but it's, it's a human book. It's designed for us. It's practical. And most go looking immediately for the divine side, which is a good place to go look. For we want to. We are desperate to know who God is. I mean, that's what theology is. It's the study of God. And we all should be theologians studying God. And where you study God is right here. This is where you study God in his word. But as you study God, he also drops a whole lot of practical wisdom. Because he wants us to be successful at life. He wants us to be fully alive in him. He wants others to know him and see him and be blessed by those who know him and have seen him and been saved by his grace alone. A guy named David Pawson likes to say this. He says, the scriptures won't make you clever, but they will make you wise. As we read through the book of James, it'll make you wise. How to live out who you are in Christ. How to be who you are. Say what you know and give what you have. And again, I want to underscore this one more time. Don't hear what James is not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Our works, our doing, doesn't save us. Christ alone, his work, it is finished. The perfect lamb that was slain. He and he alone saves us. But we are saved unto something. And the scripture says one of those things is good works. We're saved unto good works. And James spends his time focusing on what these good works look like and what the result of those good works are. And we have a world that is so beat up, messed up, and hurting. And this world, I'll tell you, doesn't need theological arguments within the church right now. This world needs a church that is doing this. Amen. That's showing up and being this. So let me end with this. Remember, not everyone who grows up or grows old grows up. Women don't look at your husband and say amen, but not everyone who grows old grows up. There's often a vast difference between someone's age and their maturity. Just because you've been a Christian 5, 10, 20, 30 years, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been a Christian long enough and I've, I've, I'm not impressed if you tell me I've been walking with Jesus 30 years. I'm like, well, that's great. Okay. I'm impressed when I see the love of Christ and the works of Christ evident and flowing out of your life. I'm impressed when I see somebody who so loves God that they love others in, a, in, in an amazing giving way. I'm impressed when I see someone who's willing to lay down their own rights and their own plans for kingdom stuff. 
I'm more impressed with somebody who actually is doing the word of God than saying that I've read, it, I've read the Bible front to back 50 times in my life. That's great. But this dude over here, he's read the gospel of John and he's doing it. He's doing it. And he's on his way to reading more of it. But he's doing it. And I believe as you read James, this is the kind of feel you're gonna get. And, 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 it, and it's not one that, that, that I want or God even wants you to like be beat up. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there's conviction and there's challenge for us. I pray that this stirs every single one of us up to take whatever that next step is into actually walking out and doing what we believe. Just doing it. Just the next thing. Just doing it. The last thing I want to leave you is this. Three points. Mature Christians are happy Christians. You see that when we face trials, doesn't matter what trials we face, we consider it pure joy. Something you're going to find in this book. So Christians are happy. We're happy Christians. Mature Christians are useful Christians. Overcoming the temptations that cross our paths. And mature Christians are active Christians. Who come alongside of others, encourage others, build up their local church, pray for others. They actually do their faith. And I'm going to tell you what, this world needs to encounter more happy, useful, and active Christians. And I, I want to just close with this. Be a happy Christian. This world's already down and out, already wearing the frown. Wake up every day and remind yourself who you are in Christ Jesus. Because you're not going to be very useful or active without that understanding. So why don't we just start there? As you're reading through the book of James, do this. Wake up every morning and be a happy Christian. How? By reminding yourself of what Christ has done for you. And how good he has been to you. And how blessed you are because you have life and that to the whole, to the full for today and eternity. That his promises are yes and amen. They've been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Let the truth of who you are in Christ put a big smile on your face and then launch out and be that useful and active follower of Jesus. Let's stand up.